To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated. Uh, we made it into November. Boy, it's been busy here. Um, November muley rut. I just got back from an awesome trip with my daughter where we did an adventure hunt and she was successful. And so that was a, a ton of fun. And I got some really good hunts coming up. Going to be hunting muleys out here with my bow um, for about a week or so. And then got a Ohio whitetail rut hunt coming up. And so some fun things coming up for me. But uh, want to make sure I get these podcasts out to you guys each and every week. Um, so this week, my guest is uh, my buddy, Ryan Williams. So Ryan Williams is probably, I think I say this right in the beginning of the podcast, but one of the best hunters that you guys have never heard of. And I I think these guys just exist in, in every different spot across the country that just, um, he doesn't have social media. You know, he sends me a, a picture if he harvests something, but he's just a great guy and a great hunter. Uh, he works really hard. He's a family guy. And... Uh, and then he hunts really hard. He just absolutely goes for it. And whether it's antelope or bear or, you know, elk or deer, and he just loves to elk hunt. Um, he, he's just a go-getter, and, and uh, he's really been a good friend to me. And we share information back and forth, and so we talk about that in the podcast. We talk about his elk hunting this year as he just timed everything right, just seemed to be into a, a bunch of big bulls. And so we go into that, and um, gosh, we talk about some hunts we've been on together, just filled with great tips and tactics uh, we talk about uh, blood trailing and how important that is, um, trailing it down. There's some good tips there, uh, uh, keeping track of your animal after the shot. Um, so just a really fun podcast with a with a really good buddy and and uh, able to talk, to talk him into being on. So uh, thanks again to Ryan for, for being on. Uh, you guys will enjoy this one. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Zeiss Optics. Uh, Zeiss is just making some incredible optics. I'm just so impressed. I'm running their their binos and then their their digiscope, their their spotting scope, uh, 65 mil objective lens. Um, just awesome glass. I mean the the color fidelity is so sharp in them. It it just seems like a I can almost see better through that glass than my eyes see. It just picks up the difference in colors. Everything's so sharp from edge to edge. Um, just building the the top glass out on the market and and uh, just so impressed with them really enjoy their stuff and and really enjoy looking through it and and glassing is just such a a major piece to the puzzle for us spot and stock hunters and we can we can all get better and improve and i i live and die behind my glass but just gosh the more i'll pull out that scope and take my time at advantage point just the more animals i pick out but thanks for thanks to zeiss for sponsoring the podcast and building just amazing glass make sure to check it out and and they have multiple different tiers of their glass and and it's all just great stuff um uh, making just uh awesome rifle scopes as well i always forget about that because uh all my hunting's with a bow, but they do just build amazing rifle scopes, and they've got some new ones out on the market. So make sure to check those out. Thanks again to Zeiss. Um, with that, uh, like I say, going to try to record some with the Eastman's crew here and kind of recap their their seasons. Um, I know Guy and, and Dan Picard, um, they're, they're headed over to 
Oh boy, I'm going to get the country wrong, but one of the stands and they're hunting ibex and Marco Polo sheep. And I just can't wait to hear about that adventure. And saw a guy put down a good bull the other day. And, uh, you know, Scott Reekers put down a bull. I saw that on the, the Eastman's Instagram story. So just excited to, to get together with these guys and catch up on their hunts and catch up on their adventures and, and share some war stories. So, uh, those podcasts will be coming up soon. And, and uh, we're going to keep cranking out articles and, and cranking out this magazine and, and podcasts and getting information out to you guys. Uh, make sure to be looking out for the gear guide that's going to be coming up in uh, uh, near future in the Eastman's Hunting Journal where we'll have just a, a bunch of our logo gear in there. We're going to have books, DVDs, um, going to have... Uh, uh, subscriptions in there and, and, and just a, a bunch of great gear. So if you're looking for a gift and, and uh, he or she's a hunter, um, make sure to check out the gear guide. And with that, let's get this thing rolling. So uh, my buddy Ryan Williams, a uh, local guy from here in Annist, a really good friend, uh, happy to have him on the podcast. So uh, you guys will enjoy today's episode. It takes us a little while to, to get warmed up and get into it, but uh, after we get warmed up, it's uh, just a really good conversation between a couple buddies. So here we go, Eastman's Elevated, Ryan Williams. All right, I'm live here with my buddy Ryan Williams. Um, I've been trying to get Ryan on the podcast for a while now. He's a really good friend of mine that lives here locally in the Valley, and he's probably the best hunter that you guys have never heard of. Um, Ryan just consistently gets it done on on big bucks and big bulls, um, kills a lot with his bow, and then he's also not afraid to pick up a rifle and hunt. So, man, thanks a bunch for being on, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, so you put in a full day of work today, huh? Yep, I did. Yep. Um, so Ryan works really hard. He's a family man, and he gets... You know, you usually take off like a week a season, I'd say, and then you're pretty much a weekend warrior. Yep, that's what I try to do. Try to do at least at least a solid week sometime during September and chase elk and then weekends from then on. Yep. Well, and the, the first time I heard of you, I remember like I I know your dad, Lennis, and um, so I, I heard um, you were in high school. You're just a little bit younger than I am. Um, you know, you're grown full-time job now, but I remember when I was younger, I heard um, you know, Lennis's kill, kid killed a great big one, you know, killed it with his bow. And I thought, who in the heck is this Lennis's kid, you know? And, and, uh, you know, since then we've met and hung out and gone on hunts together and we talk constantly, but yeah, you had killed this giant bull in high school with your bow and you just had this money spot in high school, you and your buddies. Yep. Yep. That was the only place I hunted for probably the first seven, eight years of bow hunting. Yep. There was just elk everywhere. Didn't have to go anywhere else. And big bulls, so, too. A lot of big bulls. Yep. yep. And so I remember that first big one that you killed was just gigantic, like a 7 by 8 or something? Yep. It was a non-typical 7 by 8 I think it was like 347 or something. Oh, man. Just a wild bull. And so heavy and so much character, too. Yep. Definitely. Yep. And then... The very next year, you killed another one. I heard again, Lennis's kid killed another big one. You killed another great big bull in there. Yeah, it was it was a nice six by seven. Mm-hmm. First two bulls with my bow, I couldn't, you know, couldn't be any happier. Yeah, so. but we got to keep evolving with the times, right? And spots are always changing, and sometimes for the better, but a lot of times, you know, they're they're getting worse. And so you hunted that spot with your buddies, and you guys took some good bulls out of there. But you, and like you say, you hunted that place exclusively for the first seven or eight years uh, of archery bow hunting and killed some nice bulls. But then you started, you had to branch out. There was getting to be more hunters in there, less elk. Yep, definitely. When we first started hunting it. 
it just seemed like there were so many elk around. Those guys wouldn't drop, you know, those that 800,000 feet of elevation to get in, into any of those spots where the elk were. A lot of times they'd just sit on the ridge and watch them. They wouldn't walk down there. They just wanted them to come up. So, I mean, young kids, we just, you know, full energy. We didn't know what it took to pack one out that far. We, <laughs> we were going to go for it. So we'd drop down in there, and, and for a long time it was that way. And now everybody, you know, wants to backpack hunt and backcountry and, um, you know, it's gotten pretty popular and everybody hits it harder and they all want to be successful. And I just, you know, especially that area, we had four, you know, different spots we'd check in the morning and every day we'd find elk in there without fail. We saw elk every day, unless it was too foggy or snowing sideways. And now, you know, there's people in all those drainages and still every once in a while I've hunted it, you know, close to that same area that twice in the last two years and both times I've seen elk got into them and stuff. And, uh, but it's just different. You have a bunch of pressure, a bunch of people camp down in there where you never used to see anybody and the, the elk have seemed to move. So I've just been hunting a lot of different, a lot of different areas the last few years. Yeah. You go all over, you go so hard. Um, so, so you used to have success by, by dropping down in and they were down in these bowls or basins, you know, far away from the access. And so you'd have to lose a bunch of elevation and, and dive down into the bottoms where the elk were. And then you'd go play on them down there where nobody else would go. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, and, and nowadays it seems, you know, we hunt a lot of the same country in the same spots, but um, it just seems like it takes a little bit more effort to get away from the guys nowadays. It definitely does. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in there on foot and horses and everything else. I mean, nothing seems to be a secret anymore. You just, it seems like you're hunting different spots every single weekend, mm-hmm. just wherever they all get pushed to. Yeah. Well, and it seems like the biggest thing with with archery elk or any elk hunting is just being into them like just finding them and and you can have a really good elk spot but it doesn't mean elk are going to be in there all the time they're in there at certain times they're packed in there and the whole party's in there but sometimes there's no elk in there yep i definitely agree with that yep and so it's just finding where that elk party is and so we do a lot of glassing and then you know in in this country hunting big wilderness uh peaks you just got to go hike into a drainage and go see if they're there. So it, it takes striking out now and again and, and not finding them to, to find success and be into elk. Yep, for sure. Yep. And you killed a really nice bull this year. Yep. You got to be stoked. I am. I'm jacked. Yeah. Yep. Um, man, what a heavy bull. So he was a heavy one-side bull. You thought we had actually seen this bull a year or two ago? Two, two years ago. Yep. Uh, we got into a bunch of elk, and I'm, I'm almost positive it's the same elk. Okay. And yeah, and it it wasn't too far away from that spot. It was maybe a couple miles across that mountain range and a different access that we used to come over. Yep. Yep. And um and Ryan killed some good bulls and um I you didn't pass that bull, right? He wasn't in a spot where we could get to him or did you pass that bull? I no, can't remember. we didn't end up getting on him. Okay. Well, you passed another six point in there, I remember, or me and you did. Yep, the next day. Okay. Yep. All right, gotcha. I remember now, it's all coming back to me. Um, but yeah, you killed this, uh, giant bull this year. So you hunted really hard and you were into the elk pretty much the entire season, everywhere you'd go walk. But, uh, you ended up killing this bull towards the end, uh, October bull or close to it. Uh, last day in September. Okay. Last day in September. And, uh, what a giant bull. It's just this giant old, uh, warrior bull and it's got this huge seven side on it. And then it's got like this weird spike three point on the one side or yep. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, so a giant spike three-point on the one side, and I think that thing was a bull killer. I think he was stabbing bulls with that thing. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I bet he was pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. But he is such a big bull, and like that seven side on him is so gigantic. Like The pictures don't even do justice. I saw the pictures, and I, I knew it was a good bull and a great bull, but then I went and saw that thing in person, and that's the thing with bulls when they get – like above that 350 mark or 360 mark, which this bull would have been if both sides matched. They just get so much mass and then so much mass throughout the tines and carry it so well where nothing really looks long on him. He just looks like a like a seven point, but then you go look at him. That thing is just a giant. Yeah, I was pretty shocked too. I, uh, the second second day we were still packing meat and, and uh, I left the head clear up on top where the carcass was. That was the last thing I had to go get. And I climbed up all the way back up to the top of the ridge and I'm sitting there looking at it and I was thinking to myself, hey, you know, that's that's a pretty nice bull. That might be among, you know, one of the biggest ones I've ever killed. If you would have matched both sides and we got it home and started throwing a tape on it and stuff and all of his tines were longer than I thought they were going to be. His, his, I knew his main beam was long and that ended up being pretty close to what I had guessed, but all the tines were longer. He was just so heavy, he didn't look as long as he actually was. What, what were the main beams on him? Uh, 55 and a half. Oh, man. Yeah, and then the spike side was 42 inches. It is? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, wild. Um, well, you definitely earn them. You earn them every year. You kill a nice bull every year, either, you know, usually with your bow and then sometimes with your rifle. You just, um, you, you keep going hard throughout the season. And, and even though, you know, you get one week and then you get weekends, it just seems like you're always out grinding and you're, you, um... You, you don't you don't rest back and 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 sit back on spots or or wonder about it like you choose a drainage or you choose a location and then you rock and roll in there every free day you have you're grinding miles in there trying to find animals i i think that's a big key to your success it is definitely and the past two bow seasons i've been able to find big bulls um i, I don't know about every weekend but i, I saw a lot of nice bulls the last two years and I just, for whatever reason, I just couldn't seem to get within 200 yards of them. And that was just my luck. I would, you know, I would guess they would go one way and they'd just do the opposite of what I thought. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of bugling activity in the evening. So I don't know if it was the weather this year, maybe changed that. I heard a lot of bugling in the evening. So I got to hunt morning. Some days it, they bugled almost all day long. And then I'd get to hunt evenings again as well. And uh, I I just got lucky this year and just picked a lot of the right places to go and um Brian also as well helped me out. Oh, I think I got four days in a spot that him and his buddies were hunting after they got done hunting in there, and I was in a, a bunch of elk there too, so that helped out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so Ryan is um, is honest as the day is long, and as we've become friends and started hunting together, we've shared information, and, and it's, it's always tough sharing information. Like I saw this post the other day made by Steve Rinella, and it says, um, let's see if I can screw this one up, but it says it's a capital crime to go into a spot that a buddy took you without permission. And it's like this, this law or this code that us guys live by where we don't like if, um, you know, if somebody takes you into a spot, it's respect to him to not go hit that spot and go hunt that spot without him, or at least without talking to him. But me and you have always shared information and it's a big key to my success as well as I'm just able to, to learn twice as much because you're out grinding, putting boots to ground every weekend, your, your free days off. And then you'll share information with me and say, Hey, I, I found a few in here. Hey, I did really good in here. 
But then we've got enough respect for each other where we don't go dive in there, but it's just nice to know, oh, Ryan was in him this weekend. He saw good bugling action in here. Like maybe those elk moved over to this spot or because they're in this elevation on this side of the range, like they're going to be in this elevation on this side of the range. And so me and you are completely honest with each other and share information. Man, that's a huge help to me. Yeah, definitely. You got to have buddies like that, especially on this public ground. And sometimes, you know, you guys have different schedules and one guy can take a few days in the middle of the week or whatever. Or I've got a weekend most of the time. So if Brian can go in there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or whatever he can do, he may as well be the one going in there and getting on the elk than, you know, some other guy that's just got lucky and got in there. So Well, and it's tough to build that trust with somebody too. Like, a, you know, I um, just that I can always trust that, you know, you're going to, you're going to look out for, for me and not ever step on my toes. And like, and I'm always pulling for you to succeed, but it's tough to build that trust. And like some guys, um, you know, all my buddies are really honest with me, but, um, you, you know, you're honest. Like if you, if you miss a bull, you tell me you miss a bull or if you mess up or if you spook them, like there's no ego involved when you talk to me or give me information or tell me stuff, you know, and that's what I like so much is that I can just trust it, you know, hundred percent of the time that I, I know that's what you saw up there. And I know that's where you were. I know you're not, you know, telling me you saw them in one spot when you were really hunting a different spot. And I'm, I'm chasing just this, this wild hair out there, but, um, yeah, no, it's really cool, man. I, I just really appreciate being able to share information with you. So, yeah, that, that bull this year, and, and a lot of times you have helped me out on uh, bear hunting, elk hunting. You know, this year you gave me, um, I had the Hawaii guys here. We had a tough time getting into them, and you totally gave me, you know, your spot that you had been getting into them, gift wrapped to me. You told me, you know, this is the drainages I'm working. This is how I'm hunting it. Like, go get in there. See if you can't get into them. And, and we didn't end up getting in there. The weather changed and we ended up hunting different spots, but you gave me those spots gift wrapped and you have a lot of years, you know, with, and mule deer as well. Um, so yeah, that was just uh, one of those spots where, um, me and my buddies ended up finding them and getting into them. And I remember I called you and, and said, uh, you know, Hey, we're getting into them in here. Are you getting into anything? And, and, uh, you go, no, I'm, I'm kind of out of them right now. And I said, Oh man, jump in there. And you go, no, I don't think I will. You guys are still hunting it for a couple of days. You had so much respect for us in the spot. And I wanted you to get in there. There was plenty of room for all of us. And you just kind of hunted a drainage like off the side of it. You go, oh, no, I think I'll go up this drainage and go see. I've got into them up there and it's close to where you guys are. And so you went up into there, went and looked at that spot. But um, just means a lot to me. You just had so much respect for us guys that were hunting there. So then as soon as we were getting finished up and, uh, you know, those guys had to roll home, I, you were just the first phone call. I think I left a couple messages on your phone. I was just like, man, if you're not into them, this is the spot you got to be. The rut in action is crazy in there. And then you ended up going in there and having really good hunting for three, four days in there. And you got on a, you had what, a, a 350 bullet, like eight yards or something, right? Yeah, it was under 10 in the fog and he <laughs> came right up faced right at me and I, I was at full draw and ended up just holding as long as I could and just started shaking like crazy and he finally busted me and ran down the hill and I cow called and stopped him but I had I mean I, I couldn't tell how far it was my rangefinder wouldn't work in that fog or anything but that was one of the best days of bow hunt I've ever had in my life it, it was unreal just into elk all day long kept running into him in the fog and then I'd back out and it was really neat it was a lot of fun so I'm pretty grateful you let me know that they were in there 
Oh, how killer. Well, and then you got on that giant bull. That didn't work out. You couldn't shoot, couldn't get a range in the fog. And didn't you get on another big six-point in there that same day? Yeah, I, I circled up and around him. He bugled. He, when he went back down to his cows, he bugled again, and he was kind of heading uh, north of me, and I went up and around, and he wasn't real spooked. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he knew what I was because, you know, it was solid white. There was fresh snow on the ground, and he and uh, he just came over the top, and he was so close to me. There's no way he didn't know what I was. and. When he spooked, he just bugled a couple more times, and he went and got back with his cows. So I circled up and around him, and uh, when I did that, I ran into like thirty some cows, and I was, I, you know, there's bulls bugling everywhere. There had to have been ten different bulls in there, and I was sitting there listening, and I'm like, man, that's, you know, this other the the big big bull that just walked right up to me. You know, he only had maybe fifteen cows with him. I was like, this one here has got to be a real big bull. So I kind of hung back and worked down this ridge line and got within what I thought was bow range of him and had another big six point, like a 330 type come right up and right in front of me, chased another six point past me. And, um, you know, I guessed the, guessed the range, guessed it wrong, shot like a foot over his back and, <laughs> and, uh, just continued chasing that same bull around. They, you know, he heard the arrow whiz over his back and he just kind of looked around for a minute and just went back to what he was doing, rutting cows and chasing bulls off. And it, it was incredible. It was neat. Daylight till dark, it never ended. Oh, man. Those are those days at elk hunting you just dream of. You know, those are those good ones that you remember. And I had a couple days like that up there. You know, that day we killed Robin's bull. And then, gosh, a couple days later with Janus up there, it was just crazy. Bulls going everywhere, you know. And, yeah, you spook one or can't catch up to him up the hill. And all of a sudden you got another huge herd with another bull coming up at you. And you just into him up there. It was crazy. Yeah, exactly. I've hunted that spot quite a few times, and archery as well, and I've never seen it like that before. There was a, there was a bunch of elk in there. Oh, it's off the hook, wasn't oh, it? Yeah. Oh, so many. Uh, you couldn't step without stepping in an elk track up there. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, why does it, um, when you're elk hunting, you just never get that perfect... 30 yards, get a range on them and shot. Like, it's always like your your damn range finder won't work in the fog. Or, like, I've had that happen, too. And, and I have I thought my range finder was broke. I went back and used my backup range finder, and that one wouldn't range either. Like, it starts picking up the fog and won't give you a range. Or it seems like those bulls are always moving, and your opportunity is right now to draw and shoot, and you you have no time to get a range. But why is that, that it always happens like that with bulls? I don't know. I don't get it either. I've got a couple other acquaintances buddies that bow hunt and it just seems like every year and you know maybe they're just you know they don't give me all the details but it just seems like there's just a, a big six point standing in front of them at 20 yards and they have all the time in the world to range it and draw back and make a perfect shot where me anytime I'm in the timber I mean it's just you have such a narrow opportunity a narrow window to make that shot and uh you know just rain you know I missed a bull the second week this year and it was the same deal the thing had no idea we were there feeding straight to us and and uh thermals right in his nose i couldn't believe it i mean it just doesn't happen for a big six point very often fed right into us i ranged a tree at 35 yards and i got in a rush if i'd have took my time i would have killed that bull and he came right in and uh stopped and i thought he was closer to the tree than what he was he ended up being 41 yards and shot right underneath his brisket and I don't know. That's just that's just my luck. It's just elk hunting, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. My luck too. Yeah, your one buddy gets it done consistently on six point bulls, and it, it's always like he gets a twenty yard shot out. Always. Of it. <laughs> yeah, every year. 
<laughs> it's just unreal. Yeah. Um, it's a lot tougher for you and I, and we kill some good bulls, but man, do we have to work yeah. at it and just go through trials and tribulations. You know, it, it just seems like we got to walk through broken glass barefoot to try to kill one of those things just constantly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, uh, this year I had, that was the bull I killed was the fifth opportunity on a big, a big bull, big mature bull this year. And I don't normally get five opportunities. And actually, uh, that was a Saturday when I got my bull. That Friday night when I got off work, and I was pretty worn down and tired. And I took took a week off or whatever. Ended up losing 14 pounds in a week of hunting, and I'd gotten sick, so I was starting to get over it. I was just exhausted, and I was thinking to myself, "Well, there's no way I'm not going elk hunting tomorrow." But man, what is the chances I'll get close to another shooter bull this year? And I'm, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe it'll just be a rifle season thing. I don't get five opportunities at big bulls in a year. Sure enough, th- that very next morning, didn't think it'd happen and ended up arrowing a big one. Oh, it's, that's all it takes. Same thing with mine. I, I was going to go on this elk hunting trip and had a cameraman showing up and it was just like, I, I just got to be out there in the morning. Like the more you're out there, just the more you get lucky, the more you can make things happen. I was just out there for a morning trying to sell film. I mean, that's a total shit show out there. <laughs> yeah. like a, for me <laughs> to get it done out there, it was a lot of luck, but it's, it's just being out there, isn't it? And exactly. going for it. And you got to believe in the spots you're going. You can't half-ass hunt them, but um, it's, it's just being out there and you just create luck. It seems like, or you just bump into animals and you just run into them and, and stuff just happens, but you have to, you have to believe, and you do a really good job of that is like when you go into a spot and you choose, say, I'm going to hunt this drainage for this day. You, you can't wake up late and go in there. You got to no. be in there before the crack of dawn. You're usually hiking an hour in the dark to make it in there or more, you know, yep. that spot where you killed your bull is a grind in there. Yeah. I've been into that spot too. That's a grind to make it in there and be in there at the right times. But you just, you, you got to give it your all, but you got to give it all your effort and just go in there. Like you are going to find an elk and sure you may not see him at daybreak, but you just got to keep hiking and keep glassing and keep listening. And it's amazing what comes together. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That spot that I killed that bull this year, we left the truck at two thirty in the morning. Oh. And I, that was the third day I'd hunted that this year. The first two days I did it two days in a row. I went from two thirty in the morning, didn't get home till eleven forty-five at night. Oh, that is going for it. Yeah. That's just vintage you. You just always going for it. Yep. yep. Oh man, that's it. Man, it's what it takes. Uh, perseverance. Um, you know, it's deadly. Like you just got to keep going and keep believing, you know, that's the key to success on public lands nowadays, I think. That's exactly it. And I think it takes a little success before you really believe in yourself too. Oh, that's and right. I was glad I started bow hunting when I did, cause it wasn't the pressure that it was now. And the elk don't always act the same now as they did, you know, 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, you could still call the things and you get into a lot of elk. There wasn't as many, there was a lot of guys doing it, but nobody would seem to try as hard. So it was neat to start then, and I got success right off the bat pretty much. I um, I think it was my third year bow hunting. I killed a big bull, my first one. So I got, you know, pretty lucky right off the bat. And then, you know, now over the last eight years or whatever it's been, it's gotten harder, but you know it's possible. Mm-hmm. And it still feels like a small miracle when it when it all comes <laughs> together. It does, doesn't so, it? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, a small miracle. That's so true. Um, but yeah, you're you're so right. Like having that little bit of success, like like I've had and like you've had, it it makes you push harder because you know it can happen. You know, and you start believing. Like um, every elk you see, you think you can kill. Every buck you see, you think you can kill. And even though you know nine out of ten times or whatever the 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 odds are you don't kill them but you just always think you can and so you're willing to put forth that effort when you see a nice bull or a nice buck because you think you can kill them yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah um well yeah it's such a such a fun season i i love that elk hunting with a bow it just doesn't get much better than that and there's still really good hunting out there it it just takes a little bit more effort nowadays and you you gotta you got to be a little bit more, I don't know, it's not sly with your spots or anything. It's just effort. It's just like you just got to choose a drainage and go and choose a hunting spot and go. And a lot of these spots we're finding, you know, they're public land where other guys can get to. They just take a lot of effort to get into. And and like I say, even the best elk spots don't have elk all the time. And so guys will go into them, you know, one or two times and make all that effort, that 2.30 in the morning and go for it. There's no elk in there and they give up on the spot. But if you keep watching it and you keep going in there, eventually you hit it right when all the elk are in there and that's when you get it done like you did this year yep exactly yeah Yeah. and you chased a great big bull in that same spot where you killed yours you were saying one of the bigger bulls you'd seen uh as far as a six by six goes i think it was you know top one or two biggest bulls i've ever seen in my life oh man it was giant that says something too for as many bulls as you look at during shed season and and rifle season and bow season Oh, my God, did that have to be a big bull? Yeah, it was giant. I would have sawed my leg off to get a chance <laughs> to try to kill that thing. Right? And uh, I never did end up getting getting on him, and he disappeared. I never saw him again after those two days, but, oh, man, he was big. Uh, yeah, um, I saw a big one down low in that country this year. I got some pictures of him. I'll have to show you when we finish up and see if that's the bull, but he was a giant one, just yeah. a great big one. Did you ever look at that one when I told you I saw a great big one down low? I I told you about him, but... Um, yeah, I don't think I ever saw the picture. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to show you the picture. We'll have to see if it's the same bull that then meandered, meandered up into that that mm-hmm. spot where you ended up killing him, uh, killing that one. But um, yeah, man, oh man, it sure is fun. So now... Uh, getting into muley season, uh, you still got a muley tag for Montana. I do. Yep. Yeah. And you've been traveling around quite a bit lately and you did, uh, Nevada with me. Um, gosh, it's two years ago, I think. Or yep. It was. Yeah. yeah. Um, we hunted that. That was a good hunt. Colter yeah, ended was. up killing one in there. Um, I think we, we all got shots. I think I missed one, the giant three I missed. Um, and I think, did you get a shot or you, I, I missed a nice 3.2. Okay big wide heavy one god that three i missed i swear that thing was 180 plus inch three point remember he was bigger than the 200 inch deer he was running with it was for sure yeah and um gosh dang that deal um i i got in um so i i tried to make a stock on these bucks and they were in a little group of trees and uh how is that for a go for it like a just like see a buck and and like uh like i say i always think i can kill him but that was a big go across that drainage and away from that camp and i remember we looked at that drainage and i just kept edging us closer to the edge and closer to the edge and finally i just told you guys like man i just gotta go for it and so i i went and got back late that night dodged a lightning storm or whatever but got over there made a stock and and uh there was the 200 inch buck and then there was that giant bladed three that was almost bigger than the 200 inch buck bigger body yeah and and i think he had more mass Mm -hmm. and uh 
So I tried to stalk them in this timber spot, and and uh, they ended up moving, and I caught them way up in this avalanche chute, and he bedded with another buck, and I came up, and uh, you know I I always like talking about my mistakes because I I learn from them, and I think other guys do too, and so he was laying there, and maybe I've told this story before on the podcast, but he's laying there, and I can see his horns, but I I can't see his body or anything. I just know that he's right there. I can see his horns, and and both the bucks are kind of turned looking at me, and so I just freeze right there, and I keep ranging his horns, and I just, I keep getting, that's my cell phone. I got to turn off my volume here. Just professional podcaster (laughs) here. Um, But, so I can see his horns, and I keep range finding them, and I I can't remember the exact range now, but it was like 50 yards or 55 or something like that. And I just kept getting it like 55, 55, 55. Well, the buck stood up and, and, you know, even though they were looking my direction, they had no idea I was there. He stood up, gave me this broadside shot. And I just, I had my, my dial set at 55. I drew back, settled that pin on him and executed my shot, sailed one right over his back and straight into the tree behind him. And what had happened was, is my rangefinder wasn't picking up his horns. It was shooting through his horns and I was getting a range on the tree behind him. So he was a couple yards in front of that tree, two, three yards in front of him, you know, so he was closer and I sailed one right over his back and into that tree, and he ended up trotting off with a never, you know, never touched him with an arrow, and he ended up getting away from us. But um, yeah, that that miss haunted me. Um, but you know, all, all you can do is learn from it and get better. Yep, for sure. You're gonna miss an archery, like oh it's, yeah, it's just the way it is. Yeah, I've uh, one of my buddies. He says he's never missed an elk in his life, <laughs> and I think he's killed eight or nine now. And I just, I don't understand how that's possible. I really don't. Uh-uh. I miss and miss and miss. Seems like every year, and I—I uh, I mean, I practice every single night. You're a really good shot. Yeah, you can shoot with me any day. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I, know how it's possible. Yeah, and and that's me. As I have so much confidence in my shooting and being able to execute good shots, and now it's just like it comes down to the little things. Like it's. Um, I'll get a bull, but I got to guess at the yardage, and this is my only chance to get the shot. And if I don't shoot right now, he's you know he's gonna be out of my life. So this is my one chance to make it happen. Can I guess the yardage? And I'm horrible at guessing yardage. I always yep. I'll airball that thing, or you know, and I, gosh, uh, you know, just like that mistake, uh, rangefinder mistakes get me. You know, where I hit the grass in front of them, or like that time I shoot through the horns and get the tree behind them, or. I range find and draw back and he takes a few steps and I don't adjust for that. Or it's like just these little things now. Like I know if I have an exact range and I can draw back and shoot, like I don't get flustered anymore. I can make the shot and make it happen. And I know you can too. It's just like circumstance, like on big bucks and big bulls, big antelope, whatever it is, it just never happens perfect. It's like a, it's, it's always this deal where you're, you're just trying, you get this sliver of opportunity and you're just trying to make it happen and you're not shooting unethical shots or anything, but they're just, it, it never seems like it's this perfect scenario. He doesn't know you're there. You have a good yardage. I mean, every once in a while, but it's just yeah. Western hunting. It's just tough. When you get that close into game animals, it's almost like they sense you or know you're there, you know? And so you just got to be really disciplined. And like after I miss something, then I say, okay, no more guessing yardage. I have to know the exact yardage or I'm not going to shoot because I, I don't want to miss to mess with my head. I don't, you know, because you start second guessing your shooting and second guessing yourself. And we've been doing it long enough now to to where we, you know, I don't let doubt creep into my head anymore, but, you know, I just don't like to miss. And yeah. so uh, I want to get everything right, but it just seems like it's Western hunting. It's just tough. 
Yeah, that was that day in the fog this year. I mean, I had that big three, you know, high 340s, 350 type bull, just just a bull of a lifetime, great big six point. The one that ended up coming straight to me at, you know, less than 10 yards. I had that bull, I would guess somewhere between 30 and 40 yards first thing that morning when the lights came up. And he was sitting there in these trees raking this bush, and the cows were, I mean, they were right in front of me. I could see the eyelashes on their eyes, so they were close. And that bull the whole time, I used three-quarters of a battery on my rangefinder and couldn't get a range <laughs> on that bull. It, it told me 21, 21, 21 every single time. And that's all it told me all day long. I, I could not get a range. <laughs> yeah, they won't so, shoot through the fog, huh? No, they yeah. won't. I crawled up on a buck once and could not get a range on him to save my life. It just wouldn't shoot through the fog. Yeah, when I missed that bull, um, you know, a couple hours after that, um, he was standing there broadside. Uh, he was a lot closer than I thought he was and shot right over his back. This I knocked. I was able to knock another arrow, and he never moved. He just went back to rutting, doing his thing, and... I knocked another arrow, and I'm sitting there trying to guesstimate. And I was just, you know, pretty distraught about missing him at first because, you know, I really thought I could judge the distance in that fog, and turns out I couldn't. And I probably could have had another opportunity at him. And uh, anyway, he went to chase an elk or whatever. But, man, it's just tough. When your rangefinder doesn't work, you rely on it, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I hate to miss um, – and – you know, just like you, I've been really successful over the years. And, you know, the majority of years, I'll, you know, I'll harvest five different animals with my bow. And, and the majority of them being Pope and Young animals. But I am yet to have a perfect season. I yep. am yet to fire five arrows, kill five animals, all perfect shots. It just seems like there's always something, you know. And and, and even this year, I had a, a great season. I, um, gosh, I, I, I can't. I'm trying to think. Um I I know it wasn't a perfect season and that that bull I hit wheeled as I shot him and you know I hit him back and then I had to put another arrow into him and so it definitely wasn't perfect circumstances and I don't know that I could have helped anything but you just you always want a perfect season but it just seems like antelope are so small and jumpy whitetail oh I missed a whitetail this year I missed a whitetail doe it matrixed my bow yeah. I, I mean no buck fever because it's doe you know yeah. <laughs> but uh, it it came out and it, it I think it was like 50 yards or 45 just a gimme shot broadside we were in a ditch and I shot at that thing and my arrow was coming in and that thing turned and rolled and got out of the way of my arrow before it came there it was an absolute matrix on that thing so it's you know i've been bow hunting for 20 years or more and and i'm still yet to have a perfect season so i always think you know next year's the year and and i have really good bow hunting season but i hate to miss but it is part of the game yeah it is for sure i missed an antelope the first arrow i shot all year this year missed an antelope and the thing left these does and came right over this ridge to me. I didn't even know he was there and uh, came right up on top of the ridge. And, you know, you're, you're pinned down. I'm not going to move. It's an antelope. The thing knows what I am, basically staring right at me. And I was able to get an arrow knocked and get to full draw. And I just guesstimated a range and just whizzed it right underneath him. So it's just, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to guesstimate the range for sure. Yeah. Western bow hunting. And, you know, we just don't get shots like in tree sands. They're not all 20 yard shots, you know, they're, you know, longer distances and, and, uh, you're not shooting unethical shots, but I mean, a lot of my kills come 40 to 60 yards and I know yours do too, you know, and at those yardages, things can happen. And, um, it's, it's like any little mistake is, is magnified, you know, when you're shooting longer distances. So yeah, it's as good as you get. Um, 
you, you can never you never stop in, improving and you, that's that's why we're all constantly working so hard to get better and I know even this season I've got a couple more hunts coming up but I've had time to reflect and I mean yeah I want to be in better shape I want to shoot better I want to spend more time with my bow more winter leagues like I, I just want to get better for that crunch time like that giant bull you saw that you know whatever he scored who even knows one of the biggest bulls you've ever seen like it all comes down and you never caught up with him but it all comes down to being able to execute a stock and execute a shot on that animal and you only get those chances every ever so often and so you want to make it happen you know and the, the better you can be in that circumstance you know the the better your odds of killing that giant yeah definitely yeah so um, you killed a really good buck here in the valley. Our valley isn't known for big mule deer. There's some good ones around. We have good genetics. Yep. It's just they, they let guys hunt during the rut, and after we get weather, these bucks get on these faces, and a lot of them get shot. But you kept grinding for the entire season, and you just go hike up into different drainages and into that backcountry. It seems like mule deer can winter higher than elk, um, and you were into a lot of does, um, but, but then you – you ran into a giant heavy horned hammerback in their local buck that you were able to shoot. That was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. That that week it was the I think I ended up getting in the second to last day of, of rifle season that year. And uh I'm pretty sure we saw that same buck the second weekend of September when we were on a friend of mine's uh mountain goat hunt. Oh, that's right. I'm I'm almost positive it was the same deer and there was three of us on that hunt and two of us uh, got to look at that buck uh, the morning after our buddy got his mountain goat and uh, he ended up sleeping in a camp or whatever and we went out that morning there was a bunch of elk in this basin the the day before so we went to try to find them and we ended up finding this great big mule deer and I'm almost positive it's the same deer probably two miles away from where we saw it that that uh, fall and That's then I ended right. up getting him in the winter. I yep. remember you telling me about that buck and how giant he was. Yep. And you guys were focused on the goat hunt. And, um, yeah, so, th- so three buddies and, um, and, and Ty was a really good guy. He was your cousin. And, um, so Ty ended up, uh, passing away. Like after that goat hunt, that goat yep. hunt was his dream to kill a goat. I remember him always talking about it. And then you're, um, you're so unselfish with your time. You're always helping buddies out and you're always giving information. And so you were on Ty's hunt. You helped him kill that goat. Uh, tell, tell me that story. It's pretty wild. Like I remember, so you guys spotted that Billy. I think it was the same year my dad had a tag. I yep, think I was at goats as well. And, uh, it was in that backcountry spot, and you guys decided to go for it, right? And it was pretty steep getting up there. Yeah. So <laughs> we, uh, I went to Nevada earlier that year and normally like in these mountains around here every once in a while you get in pretty hairy spots where you're in rocks and cliffs and stuff but it's never too terrible a lot of the time you're on solid solid ground and you're in the timber somewhere so Nevada was steep right yeah Nevada's steep and there's lots of rocks so I I mean I felt pretty good about it and the second I think it was the second weekend of September we go on this goat hunt we backpack in and that morning we ended up spotting a, a billy and he was way up at the top of these rocks. And we, we sat there and looked at it for a long time. And I'm like, you know, I think we can kind of pick our way up, up through the rocks on this right side, up through the cliffs. And, you know, um, he was bedded on the top of this, like, 200-foot cliff. And you couldn't even get to him where he was at. And I said, well, we'll just get up through those cliffs if we can make it up there. And uh, we'll just wait. And if he feeds back into the basin, you know, I don't know what mountain goats eat, but it's got to be grass of some kind. So we assumed <laughs> he'd come back kind of into the basin with the grass. So we got up there and 
in the process, you know, several several hours of hiking up there, we ended up running in two different billies, and uh, the one he ended up getting it was much bigger than the one we'd been watching all day anyway. So we set up and, you know, we talked about it real quick, decide if, you know, it was worth shooting him where he was at because we didn't know if he'd roll off the mountain or not, and he was in a little tiny clump of trees, and I said, I, I think now is the time, or, or, you know, let's just wait. And so he laid down and got steady and, and shot him, and he rolled, just disappeared out of sight. And uh, we were like, oh, man, well, hopefully we got him. Or, you know, we knew we got him, but we were hoping he didn't roll just into the abyss on the other side where we weren't even able to retrieve him. And and, uh, we go walking down through this uh, canyon and get up on the other side, and he stopped on the very last tree before, I don't know, a 1,000 feet of rock all the way to the bottom of this canyon and cliffs and everything else. So we got really lucky on the deal, and we we got to him, and it was evening by now. And I'm looking on the other mountain range across the valley, and the sun's right at the top of the mountain range. And I said, man, we got to take pictures quick and get this thing broke down. So we started skinning him, got him all skinned out and boned out. I threw all the meat in my backpack, and he was uh, messing around, getting the hide rolled up where he could try to get it on his back, you know, solid and everything. And finally the sun dipped down behind the other mountain range, and I said, i got to go, man. I said, I'll, I'll just keep my headlamp on, and I'm going to get over to those cliffs so I can figure out how we got back up here. Yeah, because so you went up like this um, avalanche chute, but it was solid cliff all the way across this yep. band, and you found a way up to the top and got up there and so and then worked your way across. You guys shot the billy, so now you want to make your way back across and find that same chute you came up because the chute you came up was super steep to come up, but yep. that's the only way back down this mountain. It's the only way. Right when we got to the billy, I went up to the very tip top, and it was, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I don't like heights a lot. I know, I know I walked up about three feet from the edge and it started shaking. I mean, it was a thousand feet vertical, straight down. And I walked over to the edge on the other side, and same deal. It was just cliffs all the way around it. And I, and I was like, well, that's our only option. So we get it broke down, and we get it loaded in the packs, and I take off, and I'm, I'm walking as hard as I can to get back across this thing so I can find that chute that we came down through all the cliffs. By the time I got there, it was completely pitch black. And uh, a buddy of ours, we had talked to him earlier in the day, and I was committed to this mountain goat hunt. And when we we got up in this basin below these mountain goats, there was a a really nice uh, six by seven bull with a bunch of cows, and they were bugling like crazy. And we decided we, you know, we're just going to stick to the mountain goat hunt and and. Uh, so I called my buddy that morning and he was actually working on a Saturday. And I said, Hey, if there's any way you can get up here, you should come up here. There's a bunch of elk around and we're trying to hunt these mountain goats. And he said, well, yeah, I don't know if I can get off or not. I'll see what happens. So later that day I called his brother and, uh, I said, do you, do you know if he's coming up here or not? And he said, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, he left like three, four hours ago. And I was thinking to myself, well, it should put him here a couple hours after dark. So I start, you know, I had service on the tip top of this mountain and I start texting him and it's completely dark now. And I can't tell if these cliffs are 20 feet or 200 feet. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about throwing my pack off this one and I don't <laughs> know when it's going to stop. And I got my scope and tripod and all my gear in it. And I'm like, ah, that's not a very good idea. So we, I have cell phone service. I call my cousin Ty and I said, Hey, uh, what do you think? And he, he said, his exact words were, I took three steps and slid about 30 feet down this hill. I'm kicking out one of these rocks for a bed and I'm staying the night. <laughs> and I said, all right, sounds good. I was like, I'm not even going to try to come back over to you. I'm just going to find a spot in these lovely rocks and just make a bed out of it. <laughs> and I'll see you at daylight. 
And uh, about then I'm turning my phone off and I see a headlamp all the way down at our tents and we're set up quite a ways down below this thing in this in the timber in this basin and so I turn the phone on and I'm like that's it's got to be our buddy Jared so I start texting him and his phone's off he's hunting he doesn't care well finally after a couple hours he turns his phone on and uh he gets my message or whatever saying that I'm going to stay the night in these rocks and he said well where if you if I can find out where you guys are I can try to come up from the bottom and I said well that's the only way we're going to get off here so he ended up coming up from the bottom and I could see him below the cliffs and I just kind of directed him into where I was and he got up to where I was and I said well I'm going to stand here because now I know how I can get off of this thing you go back and help Ty get across this thing so we ended up making it back to camp and it was a really neat neat hunt when it was all said and done but it was pretty hairy there for a while yeah I know it was the highlight of Ty's hunting career that guy loved to hunt hard and yeah it uh what a cool hunt um and and then yeah uh tragedy he ended up passing away that year he had worked for me for a while and he was a good yep. worker and great guy young yeah you know, i think he passed away at like 26 28 28 yep. and um so he was working the ranch and that horse ended up bucking him off and then dragging him behind the horse there yep. man just horrible god i know i felt horrible i know he's your cousin and really good friend of yours and good hunting buddy of yours life's just so precious isn't it it can be taken away just in the blink of an eye that's exactly it uh so we just got to enjoy as much as we can and try to laugh every day we're here and try to have fun with it and um but yeah no that was too bad with ty but what a hunt up there that was that was crazy uh and i know a mountain goat was what he always wanted to kill yep. he just always talked about it and he just always wanted to draw that tag and you know, I don't really think things are meant to be, or, you know, definitely not meant to be taken at such a young age or whatever, but he was definitely meant to get that goat. You I know? think so too. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, you got a lot of good hunting buddies you hunt with and you hunt with Jared quite a bit. He's, yep. he was with you this year when you killed your bull. He was. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you guys team up and, and go quite a few different places. Um, it's, it's just wild. It's wild. All the, the cool adventures you can have and, um, yeah, and we got to make it back out east. I, I killed one of my best bucks with you out east, one of my best bucks with my bow, or at least my best Montana buck with my yeah. bow. I killed him with you, and I you know I say how unselfish you are, but you gave me the, the stock or the shot on that buck. There wasn't much of a stock. Yeah, we'd been sitting there for three hours right on top of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's a cool spot in there. We got to get is, back to yeah. that spot. We found, a, uh, we found one giant buck, and he had a busted main beam. We would have loved to shoot that buck, yeah but for sure it's almost a, a shame when they're busted like yeah. that you almost got to let them grow another year but we worked back into that country and it's quite a ways back in there right and yeah and i call it coolie humping where you got to go up and down all these coolies to get there and that's definitely one of those spots where you're constantly oh it's so broken it's just straight up and straight down it doesn't look like it's much to get there but it takes a long time yeah and so we made it there to this prime vantage point we wanted to be on and we spotted some smaller bucks and um we had seen a good one that morning i think we got there a little late or something by the time we got in there i can't remember exactly but we're sitting on the vantage point for like you say two three hours glassing around you know and we don't see what we're looking for and we're trying to figure out our next game plan and you look at me and you go, there's a buck right below us, you know. And there was a buck below us, 60 yards, bedded right down below us off these cliffs. And he's he's one of my best Montana bucks. I think he's my second best Montana buck I've ever killed. And yep. uh, you spotted him. And uh, you had your bow and your rifle. It was rifle season. And I just had my bow. 
And uh, and I remember going, well, dude, you spotted him. You want to shoot him? And you looked at him, and you've killed a bunch of good bucks, you know. And he got, nah, that's you. You go ahead and shoot him. I'm fine. You gave me the stock on him, and I know I offered a couple times, and you just kept telling me, no, if if you're happy with him, you shoot him. I said, fuck, I, I, uh, boy, I, I'll have to edit that out. Another cuss word on the podcast, but <laughs> yeah, I um, I I thought, man, that's a good buck. I'd love to kill that buck, and so. I made about a 10-yard stalk down the hill and then a 50-yard shot straight down off the mountain. And that was a weird one. I told you he jumped my string. Yeah. He was totally bedded down, totally relaxed. And he got up out of his bed before the arrow hit him. I actually thought I missed him. I thought I shot under him. And then we got looking, and he had a hole right in the bottom end of him. Yep. And that arrow had passed right through him. Um, and, and then we I had to stick another arrow in. I, uh, I, it got to be a rodeo, I think, for that buck out there. I, um, so that buck, I think, um, you actually, um, it was rifle season, so legal to shoot him with a rifle, and you had your rifle. Uh, I think the buck was dead at that point. Didn't? Oh, that's what happened. Is so we spotted the buck, we watched him go across the hillside. We knew he was hitting that brisket, and he was hurt. He bedded a couple times. Yeah. I made a. Uh, we made a play over on him, and then I think you found him or something, and you told me where he was. I stalked around him and I put another arrow in him mm-hmm. and he got up and ran off and then you shot him with your rifle as he yeah. was running off and it and dropped him. And at that point, you know, I was just happy to get him down. And, and the first shot wasn't a bad shot. It was just a little bit low in the brisket. But yeah, it might have ta- taken him a bit to, to expire or whatever, but mm-hmm. it was a good shot right mm-hmm. in the brisket. Yep. Um, but we ended up getting him. That was the yep. main thing. But, um, yeah, that was a cool hunt. I really enjoyed that hunt. And we tried to get one for you the next couple of days. And we should have hunted harder and backpacked into a couple of different spots. You know, I just keep learning over there. But we just need to go over there and go do it again. we yeah. got to go get you your buck. i got to return the favor and make <laughs> sure you get a good one over there. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, I'm, I'm going to take just a quick break here, Ryan. Um, I'm going to pause it so I can get my dog off you. So I've also got... My, my little five-month lab here that's trying to give Ryan kisses and climbing up on him. <laughs> and then I've also got my daughter here. Mom and my oldest daughter are gone. So I've got my, my youngest daughter listening in. So let me just pause this real quick and uh, get my dog off Ryan, and we'll continue here for just another 20 or so. You got time? Yep. Okay, cool. Okay, I'm back. I got my dog off Ryan for now, and I didn't have to yell at him on the podcast. I mean, he's a good dog. He's just five months. He's just still such a puppy. Um, but he's got his basic commands down. It's just getting new people around him. You know, sometimes he freaks out. It's like, don't jump up and don't paw me. Like, those are the two things, you know. But uh, anyway, so we got him handled, got Katie some dinner. Uh, and so we're we're back on talking hunting again. Um Man, so uh, we were just talking, like, we can't help ourselves. Like, even when the podcast quit, quits, you know, we're still talking hunting for the next five minutes as I'm getting dinner and getting things orchestrated. Um, yeah, it's just so so wild. It's, it's just, um, it's so difficult, isn't it? I think that's what makes it fun is just that challenge of it. That was the thing that I said when I aired that bull this year. I walked down to my buddy, and he said, what happened? And I said, well... I mean, I put a perfect arrow in him. If that doesn't kill him, I'm not going to bow hunt anymore. I said, it's, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a done deal. And, uh, you know, I just sat there and at that point I was shaking pretty bad. And I told him, I was like, you know, most people would look at this and just look at the misery and all the cold weather and the snow and all the, you know, stuff that goes along with it. And they'd be like, there's no way I'm doing that. But you wouldn't be a hunter if you didn't enjoy parts of that. There's no way. If it was easy, you wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't anyway. Man, it's the challenge. It so is. That's uh, 
such a great way to describe it. Like when you, when it all comes together and like when, when you're talking about it all coming together, I can just feel these emotions flooding over. Cause I know what you went through this year. I know what your opening day, what your next weekend, what your week off being sick. Like you say, two thirty in the morning to 1130 at night. Like I know the grind you put through and like, um, mentally, you know, what else is tough is when you get really close, like you were saying, what are my chances of getting five close encounters on five big bulls in a season? It's never going to happen. It's almost like after you get that close encounter with that giant buck, or that giant bull and it doesn't come together no matter what happens whether you miss you didn't get a shot you're that close to your goal and you've worked so hard throughout the season and and you almost like that's when you're at your lowest low is when that falls apart you go well how in the heck is that ever going to happen again I've been doing this for you know 25 days to make this happen and it just it just happened and I screwed it up or it didn't come together. Like, how am I ever going to get that again? You know, like that's like your lowest low where you almost got to just pick yourself up and just keep hunting. And some, some years you run, you get five close encounters. Some years you get zero. Yep. And that's, that's, I think that's where the success part of it comes into it. You can look back at prior years and you can say, well, I did it then. I mean, I can do it again. When I used to bear hunt, the first three bears I killed was, the very last day, the second to last day, and the third to last day. And then the bear, biggest bear I ever got with my bow, um, yeah, it was my fourth bear. Um, you know, I, I, w- I was almost convinced that I was going to get it the fourth to last day of the season. That's just how it worked the three years before. And I ended up getting it mid-season. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess it was worth going then. Dude, you are So you set- never know. Right. Um, you are such a good bear hunter. You gotta, so you've killed a bunch of good bears and went so hard for so many years. And lately, I mean, you do other things, you're hunting sheds and hunting wolves, but man, so you haven't been hunting bears the last couple of seasons. So you just been feeding me information when you're out in spots and just, Oh yeah, I saw one here and saw one there, man. You got to hunt those things again. Those things are thrilling. And that last chocolate you killed, Oh my God, was that a big bear? And with your bow and, um, like, tell me the story again. So you were close to that thing. Like, there wasn't that you thought it was a grizzly, and at one point you went, oh, that's a black bear. Oh, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. yeah, I was already in bow range when I saw the thing. And so I you were you went for a long hunt that day, right? And I know the ridge you hunted up, and, and you went way back in there, didn't see anything. That's bear hunting, right? Yep. Well, so that weekend or maybe a week before I was in there, and I ended up seeing – uh, that bear, I'm almost positive, just a big chocolate bear. And that year, I wanted a color phase. I'd killed three blacks. I wanted a color phase. And I saw that one, and it was just huge. It looked like a milk cow standing up there. And I took off after it. And when I got there, I ended up seeing three jet blacks. And, you know, I was starting to doubt myself. And I was like, there's no way. I definitely saw a big chocolate. And I never saw it again. And the night that I got it was actually, I worked that day. And, uh, I'd been going, I mean, this was the middle of spring bear season. I'd been going 20-some days straight, every every day on the weekends and then every night. And that time of year, you know, you get till 9.30 at night before it gets dark. So you don't get home till 11.30 most nights. So I was pretty tired, and I was going to head home. And my buddy that I was working with actually said, well, if you, you, know, you know if you don't go, that bear is going to be right there. So I went home, and I sat on the couch, and I was like, ah, I can't do it. Grabbed my stuff, headed out the door, went up, and I did probably a two, three-mile loop. And, uh, I didn't see any bears that night and I was hiking back down the drainage and I was getting actually pretty close to the truck. I, I mean, I, I don't know, a thousand yards from the pickup, maybe a little farther. And, uh, 
I saw a little elk shed laying there, and I was like, well, I better grab that. I walked over, and it was real brushy, and it was real noisy. There's branches everywhere, and I was just making a bunch of noise. I knew that there wasn't a bear there. I walked over, and I was right on the edge of this steep ravine, and I grabbed that antler and looked straight down. There was this huge bear just laying there on his belly looking at me. And I'm like, holy cow, that's a big grizz. So I started to take off my backpack. I was going to grab my uh, video camera. I was going to sit there and video for for a minute. And I got to thinking, I was like, man, maybe I better look at that thing a little a little longer, make sure it's not a black bear. So I'm looking at it at like 55 yards through my binoculars. And finally, I was, you know, pretty confident. I'm like, that that's just a huge black bear. So I slipped down the ridge like another five yards and drew back and made a perfect shot on it. Thing went up over the ridge and... Uh, started pouring rain. Uh, blood trail was gone almost immediately, and I saw right where I right where I'd hit him. There was good lung blood, so I knew he wasn't going to go anywhere. But I was kind of confused because he turned and went straight up this really steep ridge. And normally, an animal shot in the lungs is not going to do that. And he went straight up and over the next side and down through a creek that was just roaring spring runoff, like three four foot swells. Just barely made it across the creek and expired <laughs> on the other side. I almost lost it forever. <laughs> So, oh, he could have he could have went down that creek and went quite a quite a ways down. I'd have never found it. I would have <laughs> never looked in there. Yeah, um, yeah, just uh, that is so wild. That was such a big chocolate, such a great bear. Um, yeah, you got to start bear hunting again. That was so much fun. Um, I I like it every season, and I know you did too. Uh, you just killed a bunch of good ones, and I know you're shed hunting and wolf hunting and doing different things. But yeah, you're a good bear hunter. That's fun. I do enjoy it. There's something pretty thrilling about sticking an arrow on something that wants to chew on you yeah well and they're so the it's such a high degree of difficulty and like i may end up seeing 30 a season for 30 or 40 days of hunting but you'll go days without seeing those things sometimes four or five six days and then you have a day where you see three blacks and a giant chocolate and you put an arrow in them you know you're just into them um oh one of the things i wanted to talk about so the the rain and blood trailing like blood trailing is such a huge part of bow hunting and i don't think i've talked about it much on the podcast but i think when you shoot something with an arrow like um you need to mark the spot where you shot them and then just track that thing as long as you can see it with your eyes picking out landmarks like don't lose your mind in that scenario when you run an arrow through through something the most important thing you can do is where did i hit that thing where was he standing where did he run and you try to watch him where's the next rise he went over and and then it's a tricky situation you know most of the time you're pretty good to just hold back and not rush in and spook that thing and see sometimes you go gosh i can just make it to that knob and then i can glass right where he went in um I, th- I think you're always better to not spook an animal any further. You know, yeah, if you hit him double lung, he's going to die. Or if you hit him lungs, heart, or liver, he's going to die. But I just never want to spook him. But always pay attention to where that animal was standing and where he went. How important is that? Very important. Isn't yep. that when you're tracking something down? Like if you lose track of where it went over the ridge, like a lot of times there's not blood at the hit. Like yeah. it takes them a while to start bleeding. And and so the most important thing you can do is where did they disappear, wh- which direction they were headed so you can find that blood trail. Yep. Yep. And a, a lot of people believe, you know, they'll head towards water or they'll go straight down the hill. And a lot of times, you know, that kind of scenario is true. They will go downhill when they're fatally wounded. But there's been a few times, even with the bull that I got this year, that thing, I mean, he just side-hilled and kind of uphill a little bit, and then just, I mean, 
if we if we didn't have blood, I wouldn't have known which way he was going. Mm-hmm. And the brush and stuff where he ended up expiring was so thick, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known where to look. I mean, he didn't go very far at all, so I'm sure we. I'm pretty confident we would have found him anyway. But yeah, it's it's pretty important to know which way they're going for yeah. sure. Well, and um, you know, Robin's bull he shot this year went 300 yards, high lung shot, pass through. Uh, he went 300 yards straight up that mountain. Yeah. Yeah, and then died right there, you know, on the edge of the trees, you know. So, yeah, I mean, they can go uphill. I don't see my bull this year went downhill. You know, they they can just do whatever. But elk love to walk uphill. They and do. Like, even hit, they just love to walk uphill. But, yeah, you just paying attention to where those things ran over the hill is so huge because you don't get those moments back. And the minute – and also mark your shooting spot too. Where are yep. you shot from? Right in the grass, stick a stick in the ground, whatever you got to do because you might have to come back to that spot and look at it again and go, okay, where was he standing again? Mm-hmm. You know, because you're trying to find that spot. And like um, – so I've got my youngest daughter sitting here, Katie, like her this year. I killed that antelope buck with her this year. Mm-hmm. And so – I put a perfect shot on that thing, but it hit that offside shoulder, so it didn't penetrate, didn't get a pass through. And so we went up, and I told Katie the deal, and she was super excited. So we high-fived, and then we gave him some time, and then went up there on the ridge and said, let's try to find my uh, find my arrow, find blood, even though the arrow was, was stuck in the offside shoulder, so it was stuck in him. And we went up there, and we circled around for blood up there. You know, couldn't find any blood, and I knew he was hit perfect. And I said, well, Katie, you went this direction. Like, let's walk this way and just look in this ditch. And I thought he'd be in the ditch right. And so I walked up, you know, to the ditch, and the ditch was maybe like 40, 50 yards away. And then it was all open above that, you know. So you're thinking, gosh, where'd he go? i got to pick up blood somewhere here and pick it up on the ditch. And so we went to the ditch, and I started looking right and started looking that way. And Katie started looking left and was over that way. And she goes, oh, there he is. He's right here in the ditch. You know, he's done. But there was no blood blood at the impact like a lot of times that blood doesn't start for yeah. 50 yards 60 yards and when those things are airborne i found sometimes it can be you know 10 15 feet between spots of blood even a you know a perfect shot doesn't always it doesn't always leave the best blood trail no it doesn't and especially when you just get an entrance hit the offside shoulder and in elk even i'm shooting you know 70 pounds 450 grain arrow weight like i don't always get a pass through sometimes they catch in that offside skin or um you know and i only have a 27 inch draw length so we don't have the most energy but you know 70 pounds for me is comfortable and i can hold it for a while but yeah they don't always leave the best blood trails when you just get an entrance or you get an entrance high or you know there there's a bunch of different circumstances there dry dry earth trying to track them and and a lot of it where you first hit them is looking for those tracks because they are running so hard at first you know is trying to follow those tracks when you're looking for those, make sure that you're not getting your own feet in the track so you can see it going down the hillside or whatever it is. Um, and then blood trailing is an absolute art. It really is. It's nice to have a buddy with you because oh, they can yeah. stay on the last blood. And oh. if you can just keep them, you know, concentrating, just stay right here until I find the next stuff. And then you can just keep moving forward, just hopscotching forward. And you generally recover them. Yep. No. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I use that technique too, where, um, you have a back tracker and a forward tracker and sometimes we'll even switch off no matter whose animal it is, but yeah, the back guy's job is to stay with last blood until the front guy can kind of wander in front and find it again, yep. you know, and then, and then you'll ju- you'll hopscotch again. Okay. I got blood. Come up here. You know, it's, um, it's a big part of bow hunting is being mm-hmm. able to blood track down and you get good at it where you can, you know, you'll have, 
periods where you can't fly, find the blood trail and you, you're just following dry dirt and you, you know that thing's tracks going through. And then it seems like when you, you, so in last resort is always to circle around and try to find that thing. And sometimes it rains on your sign and you can't find it. And, and that's necessary. And I have found animals doing that, you know, the majority of the time the blood trail leads to the animal. And so if you lose that blood, you know, and you think you can't find where he went, you got to go back to that spot. Like, how many yep. times do you go back to Last Blood and just try to find, did he zigzag? Did he go back on his tracks? Did he go down here? Did he go up here? And then you follow that trail out, like, a few yards or, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards looking for sign, and then finally you'll come across, like, a big white log with no blood on it. You go, okay, he didn't come this way, yep. you know. He went a different way, but it, it takes that going back to Last Blood a bunch, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That keep going back to that bull I got this year. Um, we wanted to give him over an hour and I, I knew the shot was perfect, but it was cold that morning. And, uh, we knew we were going to get a bunch of rain later in that evening or in that afternoon evening. And we hadn't got it yet. And as, as soon as I hit him, I looked at the clock and I was like, man, it, you know, we've got probably two hours before it's supposed to start raining. And we, we ended up getting like 42 minutes and then it started raining. It started drizzling, and oh, I had no. stuck an arrow out of my quiver right where I right where I found the first blood. And that was the same deal. It didn't get full penetration through either side. He was quartering away just a little bit, and I hit the offside shoulder. And, it, I mean, it was a good shot. That's that's where I would have put it if I could have walked up there and stuck it in. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so there wasn't a lot of blood. I've, I've seen, you know, animals that had been lost that weren't, you know, that bled more than that. It just wasn't a tremendous blood trail. So as soon as it started drizzling at 42 minutes, I said, we got to go right now. And luckily it let up a, a little bit. And uh, once that arrow fell out, you know, the blood trail really opened up and it was just, it was everywhere. You, you, I mean, everywhere you looked. So yeah, definitely. But you got to be willing to be able to return back to where you found blood or like I did left my arrow right where I found the first blood. So I knew where to restart or whatever. And, uh, take what's been given to you oh that's how you do it yeah um yeah it is and you just like i always call it the csi like you got to figure out where that thing went and uh, you know you, sometimes you have that feeling like oh i should just go look over here he's headed this direction they zigzag so much they when do. they're hurt and every time you think you got a direction or a trail they turn off it they go yep. a different way like i'll go back to last blood go back to last blood and and finally figure it out and i'll i'll find you know i'll follow it another hundred yards or down wherever and i'll look up and go i never would have found this i would have wandered off that other direction looking in circles someplace where this thing didn't even walk you know following that blood trail is absolute key it is yeah another time i i shot a bull and i mean i think he was 10 yards and i, sh I should have known exactly where i hit him but i mean i was just pretty excited and i knew i made a good shot but i just wasn't a hundred percent sure on the shot it happened so fast i mean he spooked for away from me and i still got an arrow on him at 10 yards he was so close to me <laughs> and uh I had two buddies with me, and I was actually calling for them, and I'd called in a smaller raghorn bull, and either of those guys, neither of them had killed an elk with their bow, so they would have been jacked to, to harvest this bull, and they're, they're sitting there looking at him, and this thing's standing there right in front of him, 40, 50 yards away, and they're looking towards me, and finally I looked back, and here came the six point, and he came right to the call and came right up to me, and I got an arrow in him, and he turned and ran off, and I mean, he was just plowing through the sagebrush his head was just right in the dirt and he was just you know he was on his death run it was 
you know, no stopping it. And uh, those guys came down, and they're like, we need to go find him right now. And I said, could you see where the arrow was? And they said, no, but, you know, it, there was blood started right behind his front shoulder, and this whole side was completely covered in blood. And that one was right through both lungs, and it was blowing out of him either side so hard that there was no good pools of lung blood. It was just a mist everywhere. And we actually looked, and by the time we started looking, it was dark. It was in the evening when I got him, and we started wandering around, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to come back tomorrow. I was like, we're, you know, we actually, it was a pretty lucky deal. It was a downhill pack, and I said, I'll tell you what, you guys go hunt for your guys' elk tomorrow. I'll come in and find him, and I'll get him butchered out, butchered up, and I'll get him packed back to the truck tomorrow. And uh, they're like, well, we'd like to find him tomorrow or tonight, you know, so we could help you. And I said, well, you know, I'm not unsure of the blood trail. I was like, I'm just going to come back in the daylight tomorrow. Well, I looked at my hands and my hands and my arms and my pants. They were covered in blood. And it was such a fine mist that was just blowing out of each side of him. You know, there was no real definitive blood trail. It was just everywhere. And we walked 60 yards and found that bull in the timber. He didn't go anywhere. But sometimes, I mean, everyone's different, it seems like. Right. Everyone's different. Yep. You just got to keep trailing and keep finding, you know. Um, yeah, that's, it's, um, you know, being able to trail those things down and being able to figure out where they went yeah, is a, a major piece to the puzzle. And like I say, I always like to remember that last place they were at, that last place they were headed, just knowing something so you know where to look. Because pretty soon, even on a good shot, you're going to be up there lost trying to fit. Now, where was he standing? Now, yep. now where did he run? Like, I, I thought he ran this direction, and you can't figure out where he went. But if you if you do exact landmarks, like, you can go, okay, he was standing here. Here's his track. Okay last place he went is over here okay here's the track here's the blood okay and i there's nothing better than a walk behind blood trail when yep. you know you hit them that entrance exit like like getting good penetration um that's so nice but it's tough with short draw archers and you know you make your arrows heavier and heavier but you got to find that fine line between you know being heavy for penetration and and being light getting the speed for your pin gapping or yep. judging yardage but um yeah there's nothing better than a good pass through and a good walk behind blood trail mm-hmm. yeah no um and then like you say it's um i i just uh knowing where those things went knowing where they are like even if you can get to the vantage point and then see him down like in a spot or see him bed or see him walk across the spot boy if you can just keep an eye on him i've had a few of them where just keeping an eye on him was the key to getting getting them yeah exactly and and then you got to think you know do you then you got to make the decision where's he hit at do i need to get a second arrow into him or do i just give him time because yep. there's two different decisions there to make mm-hmm. um and i i think every circumstance is is different you know if you see a a good hit all the way through him and he's bleeding good it's like oh no he's gonna be done here we just got to give him some time um seems like that liver shot takes a while to die doesn't it, it even does, though it's yeah. lethal Yep. Like you can get no guts, just, just liver. And if you get it through the center of the body, center of liver seems to die quicker, but it low or high in that liver in there, man, it seems like it takes him a while. Yep. My cousin Ty, he, he stuck a nice bull one time. I think it was a second archery bull. And, uh, we gave that thing all day long and we were able to keep an eye on it. We saw where he bedded and his, his head would never go down. Well, finally at last light, um, that evening i mean it had been 10 or 12 hours and he was hitting the liver we went in and he was able to sneak in there and hit him again with another arrow and that bull actually busted him he just got impatient and rushed right in there 
and but he was so sick at that point he couldn't get up and he was able to sneak in there and get another arrow in him so yeah it it's always good to give them time like sometimes you know if they're hitting the front shoulder they're not going to get sick but if they're hitting that body or that brisket somewhere like letting them get a little sick so they're a little bit slower so they can't get away is a good thing and i mean you just want to give them time to let that arrow do its job in there and yeah like my bull this year i mean and like i say he wheeled at the shot and got him back but it angled so far up into him buried to the fletchings i knew it was going to get him yeah and he just walked downhill and super sick but i mean he was still laying there alive five six hours later and it's like man i don't want to let him go another night or let the coyotes like i'm just going to get in and finish the job but giving him that five six hours before yep. you pursue him like then they can't they don't really get away they're pretty sicked up you yep. know um but yeah i hit a bull one time um six point I killed a couple years ago. This is one of the weirdest ones is I've hit two animals this way, an antelope. And then I hit an elk and it took them forever to die. And I hit them tight right behind the front shoulder. Uh, I like you're saying earlier, you, I, if I was going to walk up and stick an arrow in them, it's the spot you'd stick an arrow, but some, some way at the shot or they quarter two, you know, reacted to the shot, but it comes out low on the liver on the other side. Uh-huh. And that low on the liver on the other side, right behind the front shoulder, halfway up the body, you know, on the on the entrance. And I had a bull that, you know, I'd I'd started trailing, couldn't find good blood, and it was right at dark. And I said, I'm I'm gonna leave him tonight. I'm gonna let him die. And sometimes you got to make that decision whether you trail him at night or you leave him. And it's dependent on you know how cold it is, you know what the weather is. I mean, you got to look out for coyotes too. But it was the right decision on this bull. The next day, I started blood trailing down, and he had only ran. 200 yards he was still alive the next day i had to run another arrow through him yeah they're unbelievably tough oh man they are just the toughest and they'll go forever won't yep. they oh man you got to hit those things right mm-hmm. yep so how do you keep your cool when you're shooting at your big bull i try to think of the four things just like i'm shooting at the target every time my you know my grip number one my anchor point make sure you got the pin right and a bubble and that's the thing I try to remember and then pick a spot on the animal and let her fly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you go through the steps in your head like you're shooting just out of your like target, like you, you think about it. Like yep. you, it isn't something you just react and go into autopilot. Like you think about the steps that you need to take to shoot that animal. I feel like I have to. And, I, um, you know, years ago I'd shoot at something, whether I was successful or not, I, I couldn't recall what happened during the shot. Couldn't remember. I don't know if I anchored right. I don't know where my hand was. Nothing. I don't know if my bubble was level. So I feel like it makes me a better shot to think about those four things before I release an arrow at an animal. Okay. Uh, you you gave me some advice a long time ago. I don't know if you still remember it, but you told me one year when we were bow hunting, you said, um, when I'm stalking in on an animal, I just tell myself it's never going to happen. Like I tell myself it's never going to come together. Like, there's no way I can make this happen. He's going to spook. He's going to win me. And you keep stalking in. And you you told me that was your secret at one point. That that does help. And I still, I still kind of tend to do that, too. Um, maybe it just keeps the excitement down for me. That might be it. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I um, you told me that one time in passing a bunch of years ago. And I always remember that. And that always comes up. And... 
I, you know, I always think it's going to come together, but you're right. It kind of calms you down to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this thing everything I got and I'm yep. going to stock in. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I'm just going to enjoy it. But I, for some reason, I always remember you telling me that, and that yeah. quote, I'll think about that when I'm on stocks. And I things. do think about that too. Nearly every stock, you know, and a lot of, a lot of bow hunting is disappointment and you just got to keep pushing through it. But Every once in a while, it, it works out. So you just got to go in there with the mindset, you know, don't get too excited. Nothing's a guarantee in archery hunting, especially. Nothing's a guarantee in rifle hunting either. But you just go in there and try to keep yourself calm. Whatever you have to tell yourself to, you know, try to make a good shot. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, keep yourself calm. Yeah, and you you got to no shortcuts on any stock or, or any move on any animal, but I mean, you're right. That is the majority of the time, you know, when it, when it happens. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, right on, man. I really appreciate you sitting down and doing a podcast. You got to do another one with me. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've had a good season, got a mule deer tag left. Yep. We're already talking late season and different things. Um, but yeah, uh, Man, oh man, it's uh, it, it's always fun hunting with you. We got to plan some more hunts together. We should, yeah. Yeah, maybe get out to that muley spot we're talking about this year. And I got that backpacking spot in there. You'd like that spot mm-hmm. as much as you love to hunt deer and um, go in there. And we're finding older age class deer, the five, six year olds, and we're we're just looking for that those pockets of country that are tough to you, you can't access them from a road or, you know, you got to hike way back into them. And they're just these like secluded drainages in there that are just like never touched by man that you Mm got to hike way back into and finding some older bucks back in there. You'd like it. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. You've hunted out there a couple of times and Mm -hmm. you were out there, I think last season too, right? Yeah. So yeah, we'll have to hunt one of those spots, but thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate you being on. Yeah. Not a problem. Thank you. Okay. All right. That's a wrap. Uh, Another one in the books. Uh, uh, episode 63. So kept this thing rolling for over a year, one a week. Um, just so proud of what we've turned this podcast into and, and, uh, the guests we have and conversations and, um, you know, I just keep improving and getting better at it as well. And, uh, just want to continually just bring you guys good information about Western hunting that'll help improve your game. So, uh, thanks to Zeiss for sponsoring the podcast. Again, just so impressed with their with their glass, with their binos, uh, with their spotting scope. They're an absolute dream to look through. Um, I just love how sharp the image is, and I, I love the color um, in their binos or in their glass. And uh, also make sure to check out their rifle scopes. To, so thanks to those guys. And and thanks to for Eastman's for just putting so much into this podcast and and believing in me and and the guests I choose and and uh, the direction of this deal. So um, just couldn't be happier. Right in the heart of season, like I say, I got some really good hunts coming up that I'm excited for. I'm trying to get these podcasts finished up and my work done. And uh, I'm gonna get out of here for about a week or so. I'm hunting with family. I got a uncle and a cousin that are coming out. Uh, they've got a mule deer tag. I've got another uncle with a mule deer tag and then my dad and then a family friend. So we're going to do a big uh, wall tent camp and, and split up each and every day. I'll be hunting with my bow out there. I'm really looking for that next level of, of late season muley for me. And it's it's during general rifle and it's with my bow. So it's a high degree of difficulty, but gosh, I see good bucks every year. So I just got to hold out this year. You know, and it doesn't have to be, 
a super giant. I just want, you know, one of those bigger, older, mature mule deer. And this is this has been my goal all year long is to kill a really good November mule deer. So um, I'm going to be looking hard. I definitely got some bucks on the hit list from last weekend going down with my daughter and we filled out pretty early and then she hunted with me and took pictures for me and she's just a trooper. She can just put on miles and we just had a lot of fun together, me and her. I just really enjoyed it and got a couple plays on bucks and I did pass. I passed a buck, um, a buck that sometimes I would shoot, you know, like a three or four year old, you know, decent mature buck and and uh, I'd gone after this tall one, this this one that I really liked. He had huge back forks and really heavy and dark horns and worked all the way around him and came over the top and I had his does just filter out at 45 yards and I didn't want to come over the top too far and expose myself so I just let him come and then all of a sudden I see the buck and he's coming and they had pulled a Houdini on me. It wasn't the same buck I had went for. It was uh, like, a, like I say, a younger buck, three to four year old decent rack on him, but we passed him at 45 yards. And, and, uh, so that was pretty cool. I had my daughter with me and, and she was peering over the ledge with me and it was a big hike over and around and through. And so just a lot of fun. Um, just a lot of fun, really looking forward to this November rut hunt and trying to get a, a good buck down with my bow. Um, I'm just going to put on a bunch of miles, get into some of these backcountry spots, help my family as much as I can, but I'm going to hunt hard and get some plays and man, I'm going to put one of these big, dark, heavy horn suckers down and, and then I get back and I'm back for about a day or two and then, um, head off to Ohio, fly out to Ohio for a whitetail rut hunt. So, uh, really looking forward to that one. Um, it's just going to be different, uh, sitting in a tree stand looking for a mature whitetail. Um, but I'm pumped. I've, I've never really done it. I've hunted whitetails quite a bit and I have a bunch of whitetail does under my belt. I am yet to kill a whitetail buck with my bow. And a lot of it is, you know, I pass the smaller spindly three points and I'm really looking for a heavy, you know, four or five year old deer. And again, I don't need the biggest buck in the world. You know, I just, I just want a a big heavy one, older buck that's a, a good representation of a mature whitetail. And so um, really looking forward to that. It's going to be a, a chess game, a, a trying to sit in these stands and sit in the right spot, trying to sit there all day long and not lose my mind. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I just can't wait. So really looking forward to that one and and uh, just got the support of my family and, um, you know, being gone you know, a week for mule deer and back for a day or two and then and then gone for another week for whitetails. So just tis the season and, and uh so I just can't thank them enough for the the support and taking care of everything around the house here and just letting me chase my dreams. It's just been an awesome hunting season for me. It's you know, I've always said if you have the time, you know, you can really enjoy it. And I I've had more time than I've ever had during hunting season this year. Hunted with buddies, hunted for myself. I've been successful, been on a bunch of really cool adventures. I mean, I started the year going to Hawaii and uh, bear season around here. And then, uh, gosh, I did the Idaho hunt and um, elk around here and, and deer and antelope around here. Hawaii guys came out here. I, I've just had some awesome hunting and, and a bunch of time. So, um Gosh, I'm just super fortunate. Just got to keep working hard at everything, whether that's my, my job, family, hunting, um, podcast, my writing. Uh, just keep, in, keep working hard and, and enjoying life to the fullest. Um, really been enjoying running here lately and keeping myself in, in shape and been weight training. I, I think I talked about it, but I had pulled my back out just lifting something way too heavy. I was trying to load this siding by myself and 
picked up a side and trying to drag it in my truck. I should have just waited for him to go grab the forklift for it. I couldn't find anybody in the yard and ended up pulling my lower back out a little bit. And it wasn't that bad, but it just makes you realize like how important it is to be healthy all the time. And so I got healed up from that. And, uh, you know, now I've just really been focused on my core and, and my back and making sure day in, day out, I'm working hard to have my back in as good a shape as I can keep it. Cause man, when your back goes out, I mean, that could ruin an entire hunt, you know, or, or ruin a, a couple weeks of work. And, and, uh, so it just makes you realize how important your health is. So really been working hard lately, uh, keeping myself fit. And, uh, gosh, I think I, this ending has gone on way too long, but that's what I got going on. Thanks for Ryan for being on the podcast. Thanks to you guys for the support. Uh, you know, continually downloading these podcasts, the, um, the reviews on iTunes, you know, we've, we finally got our audio quality where it's just perfect or I do, man, it was a lot of work there and some struggles trying to get it right. But, um, finally got all the audio quality where it's just top notch. I feel really good about that and, and, uh, good guests coming up, uh, and, uh, and, you know, great deal here with the podcast. So I've gone on too long. Let's end this thing. Thanks again, guys. I'll check in with you next week.